Hey there, Fellowship family. Welcome to your one-stop shop for all things church life. My name is Mark Francis, and I'm your host again today. And as we've been engaging in a couple different conversations for our 40th anniversary, um, who know better to ask in the booth here today than to chat with my good old buddy, Rich Brito. So he is here to uh, share his thoughts on Fellowship Bible Church today. How are you, Rich? Very well, thank you. Excellent. Better than I deserve, for sure. We don't, isn't that the case for all of us, yeah, right? I think so. <laughs> well, just before we really get started, I want to just once again thank you for listening and watching on all your podcast channels out there. Um, find all details about our 40th celebration on our website, fbcva.life slash 40th. And uh, we are anticipating a big celebration on September 6th. And uh, Rich, I even know that I hear a little tidbit that you're going to be a part of that celebration with us on September 6th. Somebody asked me to make sure I show up, so we'll see. Prop you up and have you be on stage for a little bit. I think so. Yeah. Well, we're excited about that. And I just wanted to get get a chance to get to know you a little bit better. Sure. um, And then kind of really pick your brain on what you've seen God do over these last many years with fellowship. So even before um, you've been a part of FBC, just give me a little bit about your history and how you came to be about Winchester, even. Ah, okay. Well, I grew up in Loudoun County, uh, about 40 miles east of here. And uh, we moved here in 1990, about six months after Mark Carey. Uh, We moved here because we were uh, looking for a place to raise our daughter, who was uh, about four years old at the time, and we were looking for a subdivision. And when you say when you say we, get my wife, who are some names, okay. And Katie. Okay. K-A-I-T-I. Got it. And uh, so the Lord just brought us over this way. We came from Loudoun County, came from a Southern Baptist background. So my wife, Karen, and I, both Southern Baptists all our lives, we came from Hamilton Baptist Church. And before that, it was uh, Mount Hope Baptist Church over both in Loudoun County. And so we were looking for a church that was strong in small groups because we had had Hmm. a small group experience, which was unusual, really, at uh, home bi- home based Bible study in uh, at the last church, and that really impacted us. And that was uh, high on our list. I was looking for a church that had uh, strong values on small groups, and so God led us here, and we here we are. Neat. So that was back in 1990. You said correct. Yes. June, June of 90, first Sunday in June. And what a, I'm just curious. What about fellowship did attract you? I mean, if it had that small group feel, what was going on at the time? Give me just well, paint a picture for what you saw when you first started coming yeah. to fellowship. Well, Ten but, years almost after it had already started. Yeah, uh, we weren't sure. We just knew that God wanted us. You know, in a church, I'd been a deacon in that church before and the church before there. So we'd been involved. So we knew God wanted us uh, in, a, in a church, and I wasn't really particular about what denomination. In fact, hmm. at the time, I didn't know a whole lot about denominations. So we tried some other churches. But the story goes, you might find this interesting. Karen had seen the sign driving on 37 here uh, the week that we moved, and my daughter had gotten chicken pox on on Friday and couldn't come. <laughs> so Karen had to stay home with her, so I was going to go check out this church that she talked about. Huh. I just kind of knew the name. Uh, that was before Google. It just had phone books, so I right. looked up the address. Right. And I wasn't sure exactly how to get here, so I start off driving in the right direction from Stephen City. And as I'm going, I'm making turns, I notice this car in front of me that had a, a couple 
in it, and they were dressed for church, like good old Southern Baptists would be de- uh-huh. uh, dressed, you know, with a coat and tie and kind of decent. And and so everywhere I turned, they had turned. They were in front of me, and I wasn't quite sure if I was supposed to make this turn or not, so I did out on Apple Valley and followed them, and I drove down Apple Valley and looking for the church, and they turned in this parking lot, and this was where I was supposed to go. Interesting. And I followed yeah. them in. Yeah. Well, that was Paul and Ann Rosensteel. And um, they became great friends. They were in our neighborhood. We were part of their small group. Eventually, Neat. God ordained that. Yeah, sure. And But I guess the best thing, I'm by myself that Sunday. I walk in, and somehow I had a check in my spirit that this was it. Hmm. And you just knew. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I hate to get emotional. Yeah. You get older, <laughs> right. kind of hold it back. But yeah. I just kind of knew. Yeah. And so, you know, I met, I met Charlie Richardson, one right. of the founders here, and... I wrote his name down, and I wrote. I was writing everybody's name down in a little bulletin I had. So the next Sunday I came back in. I, I, I brought it. I went, "Oh, that's Charlie Richardson." <laughs> I called him by his name. Kind of impressed him. You know, three weeks later, I was on the uh, greeting team because sure. I, <laughs> sure. he had put me on there. Well, who better than yeah. to have somebody with a smiling face and warm welcome? Yeah, yeah. So I just uh, we we checked it out, and it just felt good. And they did have small groups, and we liked that. So we joined the Rosensteels group for quite a number of years. Well, that, that says a lot about your heart. And I, I know kind of a lot of your roles over the mass, past many years here at mm-hmm. Fellowship. But kind of walk me through your career, if you want to call it here? that, here yeah. at FBC. So you, you started attending in 1990. Correct. And then over those years, you got more and more plugged in. Yeah, probably, uh, I have to go look it up, probably around 91 or 92 Probably 92, I became a deacon here. I was ordained as a deacon. I was on the deacon team, and uh, we started that. So I was a deacon through those next number of years. And for that next 10 years, I ultimately became a small group leader. Okay. We started our own group. And sometimes the Rosensteels and Karen and I, we'd switch hit. You know, I would lead for a while in their group, you know, and then sometimes we'd split and do different groups and yeah. all the various various things there. And... The church began to get pretty involved at the time in 97 when I came on staff. Um, the attendance on Sunday, the, the worship attendance, was 600 people. Hmm. Well, we had a 300-seat sanctuary. Actually, 285 yeah. was the limit we put on it at the time. That was the building that we, we built that in 91 when Mike Lukens came on. Right. And uh, the occupancy permit was 300 people. And so God kept bringing people. I remember one Sunday that Karen and I were a little late. This was September of 90. And when we first came in June, it was about 130 people. That was it. Hmm. Well, we were a little late in in September of uh, 1990, and we had to sit outside the window that's in front of one of the doors to the uh, nursery currently. We couldn't even get in the room. We were 212. And God just kept bringing in all these people, kept bringing all these people right? Uh, all these years. So you mentioned coming on staff. Mm-hmm. Um, it was about, I think, fall of 1997? Yeah, September 1997. And walk me through what was what led to that point, because I'm, I'm assuming that you had a standard yeah, job I, yeah, I, and I, that you were you know, yeah. in the secular real world, and now you're coming into church ministry. What was that calling like for you? Yeah, that, that was a little bit of a difficult situation. Um, at the time, you have to realize that things had gotten really intense. God kept bringing all these people. So 
in it was Mark Carey in ninety January of ninety, Mike Lukens I think November December of ninety one I believe mm-hmm. right. Uh, John Morrison came on in ninety three, uh, around September I think he, he uh, visited us in March when we had a three foot snowstorm, and then uh, God kept bringing all these people and those three guys were getting inundated hmm. with just body life stuff hmm. and. It just came about that, hey, you know, uh, maybe I can help. Somebody suggested that. You know, I was up to my eyebrows in my work. I was an IT guy, IT manager, and uh, it got so busy there, sometimes I didn't even remember what month it was. It was just crazy. It was, and so I was a little anxious to get out of that. Right. So I brought me on board as the uh, director of assimilation. Okay, that's a that's a big word. That's a yeah. It seems to be a church word. Uh, yeah. Unpack that for me. What does right. assimilation yeah. mean? Well, Mark Carey came over and visited me at lunch at uh, Judd's in uh, Strasburg, where I was working. You know, while I was a deacon. In fact, that was the the prerequisite. I was the deacon of assimilation. So Mark comes over and draws this picture of this giant funnel. Yeah. <laughs> describing all the different kinds of people coming in through this funnel. From different areas for different reasons, and uh, and we needed to assimilate them into the life of the church. Mm-hmm. And so, okay, I'm I'm all for that. You know, I kind of like people and all yeah. that. So that was my task. They put a label on me, it was crazy. Uh, I guess it was a Borg thing. You know, being a deacon of assimilation. Yeah. Well, so you become and become on staff here. Either kind of the fourth staff member, I guess, if Correct. you look at that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and people were getting inundated with body life um, concerns. Kind of, is there a, a specific moment or a story that you can just pinpoint and say, "Yeah, there was there was God in that moment." You know, well, yeah, early on in those years for you. Looking back, uh, as best as I can understand, what God's doing with me <laughs> is that I've been a deacon for, gosh, since I can't remember, 1980. Hmm. I think I was first ordained in a church as a deacon. So that's just part of my nature, a helper. You know, that's what deacons do, taking care of the of the tables yeah. in Acts 6. So actually, that was the reason for me getting hired, because Mark and John and Mike Lukens were just buried, hmm. dealing with stuff, didn't have time for ministry. Just like in Acts 6, where the apostles were overwhelmed with waiting on tables and the, and the Grecian widows were getting, you know, served properly and all that. So yeah. God invents the deacons. To take the load off, so it frees them up. So that was my first role, basically. Yeah. Even though my heart was assimilating people, that was part of it. But mm-hmm. let me do some of this stuff. I can figure a few of these things out. You know, I have enough administrative skills. So that was the first reason for me being hired. Hmm. Continue to walk me through mm-hmm. the the path. So 1997, you're coming on yeah. staff. More and more people keep coming to fellowship. Correct. Yeah, and so. We start bursting at the seams, right? Yep. You're going from two services to then three services. That's a great segue and to the next. Portion. So, how yeah. does that how does that impact your world here at Fellowship, and yeah. and what did you see God well, doing through those times? Yeah, it's a big thing, uh, a big plug. I had never experienced elder leadership in a Southern Baptist church hmm. ever uh, before, and when I came on staff, one of my side jobs was with Ralph Herring was the elders gave us $25,000 and said, hey, you need, we're, we're bursting at the seams here. We're supposed to build, but we can't build because the engineer says our drain fields are at capacity 
and there's no public sewer and water, we're, we're stuck. Hmm. So whenever God figures all this out for us, this is what the elders told us, we need to have a plan. We need to be ready. So you right. and Ralph go figure out what we should do and how to do it and all that kind of stuff. So Ralph had built, helped uh, Reston Bible build a church. So Ralph and I go gallivanting around the state of Virginia and a couple other places. And what year is this, do you think? This is, this is 97, 98. Okay. Okay. Uh, and even 99. So that began our little building process. So we're, we're trying to put together this plan in that. And that uh, brings me to a story, I guess, you, yeah. what God's doing. Exactly. This is, to me, this is precious. So we couldn't build. We were told we couldn't build. Okay. So I'm working with the deacons because I had been a deacon. I've been chairman of the deacons. But I had to back off of that since I was on staff. And so I'm working with Charlie Richardson, one of our uh, trustees, and Charlie knew the county administrator. I forget his name at the moment, but anyway, and we we're figuring out what can we do? We can't build, we don't have enough water and sewer. Charlie had a conversation with him and he said, hey, we'll give you a permit to pump and haul. You put in a giant uh, septic tank <laughs> and we'll give you a 10-year permit and you can go ahead and expand and build that and uh, until and give you 10 years for it to get public sewer and get the thing resolved. Charlie said, well, great, well, that's an option. Let's do that. He right. says, well, what do we need to do that? Well, I need a letter. I need a letter from your engineer say, stating that your drain fields at capacity. Hmm. Oh, no problems. Charlie calls up the guy and says, yep, hey, we need this. Sure, I'll get it right out. Thanks, click. Well, he waits in a week or so and nothing. Didn't get the letter. Calls him back. Oh, yeah, I'll get right on that. Hangs up. Another week or so goes by. Nothing. Calls again. Then he didn't get any response from the guy. Didn't get any. So we're getting kind of frustrated. All we need is this letter so we can move on. Yeah. So we didn't get it. So we had another idea. We were sitting on 13 uh, acres. I said, well, why don't we just put in another drain field? We've got 13 acres here. Okay. So Charlie contacts the state of Virginia health inspector guy, the main guy, and he comes out, and we hire a guy with a tractor and a backhoe, and we're, we're testing perk holes all over this property with, with the hopes of, you know, another option. Were you out there with them? Oh, yeah. With your shovel and hard well, hat? We let the backhoe do the work. But we, <laughs> both Charlie and I were out there, and we're big in here, you know, and they said, no, you can't build there because that's the reserve field for this drain field. We had two drain fields that were connected. And you can't build over here because that's up on the hill here because that's fill dirt. You can't build here and can't build. In the meantime, while we're digging these holes, we ended up cutting the power to the building. Oh, wow. That was a fun day. Yeah. So we're frustrated. And finally, the guy says, well, what are you trying to do? And we said, well, we're just trying to build an 800-seat uh, sanctuary. Really? And he's got our file. Hmm. This is the state guy. You know, a big, thick file, about two or three inches. And he's flipping through. Well, there's the plans. Well, I don't see any problem. You're only at half capacity. Excuse me? Your, a drain field is only at half, half capacity. Really? Can, and you can build, yeah, I'll give you a, a authorization to do that. Wow. Will you send us a letter? Yeah, absolutely. So three days later, we got the letter. And we were able to move forward with the next phase of trying to figure out what we needed to build. What had, and happened? What had happened? God healed our drain field, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. You figure it out. That's the story. <laughs> And we that's got a witnesses. Head, it just blew us away. That's to a me, head scratcher. Yeah. All of a sudden, our drain field gets healed. Yeah. It was only at half capacity. Absolutely. How could that happen? Wow. To me, that's a God thing. Absolutely. I mean, that's, I mean I'm mean, i sure there's so many other stories that, that 
can come to mind of where God intervened. And you know, it's funny that you say that because I was in a, I was in a chat, oh, a couple weeks ago, and Mark Harry was there, and he was talking about the idea of what is a vision for fellowship, you know, and 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 obviously we've heard them say this many times that it's at this point in time next year, how can we be a little bit more like Christ? And and it doesn't take this huge big five point step or multiple yeah. kind of things that we're saying we want to do this because we don't want to get ahead of God. Right. Something that Mark shared, which to me is still profound. So many churches out there have these big visions and big game plans. Yeah. And it's, it, it kind of has an appearance that they're getting ahead of God. And he said, we at Fellowship have always been reactive for that very purpose. Yeah. And so from an outsider looking in, both of us, you and I come from a business world. Mm-hmm. We, we want to have a game plan. We want to yeah. know what's happening. But to to state we are willing to be reactive because we don't want to be ahead of God, to me, right. is profound. Yeah. And to me, that's that's a foundational yeah. principle here at FBC. You know, how can you share kind of how you've personally grown in your walk well, with Christ along the way over these many years? Probably because God has chosen to uh, booster my faith by showing His hand in the matter. Hmm. I, what I believe that I got two more little stories. I'll try to keep them short, yeah, definitely. real quick in that. But to me, they're they're miracles. <laughs> Maybe that's a little too strong a word, but you decide on that. So here we are. We're on this building project. That's the major theme. God keeps bringing all these people, and we're elbow to elbow, 600 people in these tiny little halls. So there's a lot of pressure. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? We've got to build. got to build. So God shows, uh, heals the drain field, so we proceed on that. So we, we uh, need to, we want to build without any uh, mortgage, if, if possible. Sure, right. We can't, so we did a fundraising thing. We, yep. didn't, we don't like fundraising, but we did it anyway. Well, someone in the church deeded us, you know, like seven or eight acres. Okay, we got it. And uh, so we, we make a long story shorter, we're, we're in the building, and uh, we got these acres. And so the, we get a tax bill from the county, and the, the value of the assessment on that property is $999,999. Wow. And we don't have a building on it, hmm. so we don't get any deduction. We've wow. got to pay tax on that. Okay, so we put it up for sale. This is in the early 2000s. Okay. Nothing. Not even a, not a single look-see. We, with the price we put on it was $485,000, if, if I can remember correctly. Nobody. So we, go, we had it on, on the market for like three or four years. Hmm. We've got to move this thing. We got a $4 million mortgage at the time out of a $7 million project. We're going to try to do this thing. Well, at about the time the market started to go, it was, the, it was a bubble then. Right. And we noticed that uh, the Miller Honda, is it Miller Honda? Yeah, down here off of Route 11, uh, was being built along, the, along those sides. And we noticed that the property values were up. And somebody had told us a story once about, God mo- making a sale of somebody, they couldn't. They tried to sell it, tried to sell it, so they doubled the price, and they sold it. <laughs> That's logical, sure. <laughs> so I said, Charlie, what do you think? Well, look, hey, it looks good. Looks good on paper there. The, the, you know, the square footed things going up. Let's do it. So we put it on the on the market for nine hundred and some thousand dollars. Uh-huh. Very next week, we got an offer for the old four eighty five. Wow! Almost closed the deal. Because we were so glad to get somebody to turn and liquidate this thing, 
but they wanted uh, like $55,000 in closing costs. And we said, uh-uh, come on, you're getting a deal. Look at the assessment here. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we said, Charlie and the elders de- declined that. And so we waited the very next week. This is like within two weeks of doubling the price. We get an offer for about 900000 Wow. I said, Charlie, give him a counter. Don't be too quick. <laughs> so Charlie, being a trustee, does that, uh-huh. and we close the deal. So we sold the property for $900,000. That's amazing. And, li- and uh, liquidated that. To me, that's a God thing. Absolutely. Wow. Well, you're full of stories. I know that. You know, and, and you're being very humble and gracious because yeah. along the way, you played a big role in really kind of leading the charge in those years, in those kind of formative years, especially with the building. And, yeah, we were, and a lot of work going we on behind there. the scenes for the building that we're sitting in right now. And uh, that ended up getting, I think we, our first meeting here was June of 2002. Does that sound right? Yeah, June 21st or 23rd, whatever that Sunday was, mm-hmm. we had to move the whole church in one week from the, from 16,000 square feet to 88,000 altogether right. Right. with no increase in staff. It's amazing. That's a whole other story. I'll, I'll spare you guys for that, but it's <laughs> a good one. But yes, I mean, I know that you played a big, significant part in all of those years. So from all of us at FBC, mm-hmm. thank you for that. Mm-hmm. And and here then that, that then shifted your role. A little bit. Oh, um, yeah, I've ex- had lots of roles. <laughs> so explain kind of what these last several years on staff here at FBC have been, and then again, your heart for people yeah. and what that looks like. Yeah, I got. I did a lot of administration after those first few years for a number of years, and uh, we taught, uh, I taught a class on spiritual gifts and hopes that the body would see that God wants you here and you have a role. Every person has a role in the body of Christ, uh, whether it's Cleaning toilets or preaching sermons, and in God's view, there's no different. There's no hierarchy there. It's it's service. So uh, that's that's my heart all along. So I, I would just serve. So I ended up doing uh, a lot of things that probably were not nobody else really wanted to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what they need to get done. So we would do that. So uh, I did a lot of administrative things initially, as we were growing through the growing pains in that as best as I could. And then uh, we went to the executive pastor thing, which we needed to do. Somebody with far more skills than I had. I was right. knew enough to be dangerous. So uh, as we're growing the church and protecting that, so I did some roles. But uh, probably the last role was when Mark Carey got uh, colon cancer a little over 15 years ago. It might be 16 years now. Yeah, 2003, um, I think. He kind of yeah. cried uncle, said, guys, yeah. we need your help, you know, and everybody's expecting me to go visit them in the hospital, and I can't do that. Now, that's total. So the whole congregational care thing hmm. has been my last number of years, 10 or 15, I guess. That's- so just walk me through what does that look like on a month-to-month kind of basis? What what are some of the things that you – how do you partner with people in, in caring for well, them and yeah. coming me, alongside of them? The way I would articulate it would be if you put on a uh, your shepherd's – mantle and your crook and you're you're looking at the flock and you look out over the flock and you see oh there's some call them sheep <laughs> oh there's some good looking sheep over there they're doing real good and then you look around and you see one that's kind of limping or one that's got pink eye or flies all over it or, one, or another one's laying down they shouldn't be you know you're look you're assessing your flock well you need to deal with that hmm. so we need to be about that and that's right. the body life people are getting born they're dying they're losing their job they're getting married they're getting divorced they're having good things 
It's the milestones and potholes of life. Right. And they're all ripe for spiritual input. So you see something in the flock, good or bad or difficult, mm -hmm. and you draw near to see how you can be a part of that and walk with people through that. That's what being a, a shepherd is. You try to deal with that. And so you can't do it yourself all the time, but you bring people along and delegate. Yeah. Yeah. And even funerals uh, and yeah. working with people and, and just interacting and comforting them. Yeah. Um, that's a milestone in life or you might want to call it a pothole. Yeah. <laughs> it's a right. difficult time. For some reason, we're challenged at that and we're a little bit often more open to spiritual input at those times. Mm. So, you know, that's part of our evangelistic output. You seize those moments yeah, as best as you can and just bring the love of Christ as best as you can. Right, right. Well, one of the things I know the elders wanted to come out of this celebration for the 40th is not necessarily to look to the past, but to recognize where God is leading is, is now today with us, but and also what can we anticipate in the next generations to come? So what what would your heart be from being here on staff for this long? Because you are going to be retiring. Your, your yeah, last day yeah, is coming up days. <laughs> in, a, in a couple of days. So as as you're thinking that through and as your time on staff is nearing an end, what, what kind of next generation torch would you want to pass on to those behind you? Oh, my gosh. Um, God's at work. And he chooses to work through every individual no matter what your skill set is or your level of spirituality, mm. and probably uh, he'll he'll want to work through you in those moments where you're weak. But we need to respond to that and know that God is the one who's moving this. God is the one who brought all these people here mm -hmm. and created all these people problems. <laughs> right. We need to, it's an opportunity. So it's it's God uh, at work in the world in our lives. So the question is, okay. What's going on? Lord, help me see what you have for me. So it's us responding to that. To me, it's exciting to be privileged to even see God's hand in somebody's life and see the lives change in that. Mm -hmm. And because you're looking at what God did through a certain person to, to do that. You know, um, there was a person uh, who just passed away, and there's been another person in, in that person's life uh, who just walked with him the, uh, these last number of months when they were in hospice and everything else, mm. which was a treasure, mm. and just just being there with them. So that visiting, which has been my last uh, role, uh, is huge. You don't have to know some great spiritual insight. Just show up and let God be and love them as best as you can, and yeah. God will direct your ways. I go to the hospital often. And I look at the situation, and I say, oh, my gosh, I don't have a clue what to say. It was terrible. But you go. Right. You just keep trusting God. Right. So that's, to answer your question, you just go, keep looking for God and uh, trusting Him in those moments. And God can use anyone. Anyone Absolutely. listening to this right here and right now can essentially be pricked by the Holy Spirit and say, okay, where where do I need to be used by God? And, and it can be from cleaning toilets. Yeah. It can be from putting up a sign here and there. It can be visiting somebody. It can be serving with children. Anything. Wherever God is calling you, yeah. that's that's and, where you need to be. Yeah, I'm serious on that. Uh, in the last chapter of First Samuel, there's a story about David at Ziklag. If I get my references off, I think it's Samuel 30. And he goes back to Ziklag. 
and that's their their hometown. They, he and the mighty men have been out doing doing their thing. They come back, and it's laid waste. It's burned down. Their wives and their kids and all their possessions are gone. Hmm. In fact, they're so upset that they're ready to stone David, the, his, his macho men. And uh, I think it's verse 6 of that chapter. And he prays and asks God what to do. And should I go after these guys, go after them and go chase them? So God says, yes, he does that. So he gets his mighty men together, and he heads out. But some of the men are are the uh, supply team. They're carrying all the, the armor, the, the goods, the supplies and stuff. And so they get tuckered out. I mean, it's hard work. And so they stop by the the brook Basor, I believe that's it is. Hmm. And they stay there. The rest of them go off. They find the enemy, make a long story short. They take them. They get, get their wives back, and they're dividing the spoils. And the ones who were there on the front lines said, well, Somebody said, well, what about the guys back at the, at the brook? We're not going to give them there. They didn't do this. And David said in verse 25, I think, of that chapter, you have to check that out. Uh, this day, from this day forward, every man shall share and share alike, whether they're the uh, supply team hmm. or, or the ones at the front in the glorious times. Right. Right. So that whether you're cleaning toilets or preaching the sermon or the evangelist or whatever it is, God uses you. And it, it, he has his hand on you. Yeah, it's a great picture of what God has called the body of Christ to be. You know, some is it could be an eye, it could be an ear, it could be an elbow, it could be a foot. Exactly. But we're all called to be part of the body. And yeah. uh, and what is the church called to be and do? And that's what the sermon series over this past summer was all about, yeah. kind of prompting us to to say, where do I fit in that yeah. story? And, God has a plan, and you do fit. We all do fit. We, sometimes we don't think we do. Right. Keep trusting them, and uh, we're written in the script. Yep, absolutely. Well, you've had many hats and many roles. And so looking back, you can see how you know, over the years an executive pastor was formed from what you, had, you have yeah. done, and, or small groups, ministry um, leaders have been because of where you've been. You know, now congregational care, and that is yeah. all developing. And, and also, you know, now Dave Compton is coming on yep. board to uh, to kind of fill some of those gaps that you might be absolutely. leaving. Absolutely. And, and uh, a great job. I'm Hopefully we'll put them in good hands and take the ball and run with it. Yep. But um, once again, it's been such a privilege to be able to chat with you mm-hmm. and uh, have you be a part of our life. And I know that on September 6th, you will be up there and uh, you get a chance to chat with Mark Carey and John Morrison and Mike Lucan. So the four of you guys. I'm, I'm the, saving one more miracle for him. Good. The, the, so there's more, more to come, folks. More and stories to come. One. You will hear. This is the fishes and the loaves miracle. Absolutely. Well, I, I think a Band-Aid and God healing a septic system is probably tops in the, <laughs> tops in the list, too, right? <laughs> well, thank, thank you, everybody, for, being, um, for listening and watching this podcast. And remember, you can, you can check out all of our podcasts at all the local um, resources, but go to fbcva.life um, as well um, for notes and to interact with us on those podcast channels. Next Friday, we're going to hear more from a different family of how um, God has worked in their life. Um, they were part of the early years as well um, here for the 40th celebration. So until we chat again, um, just remember, let's let Christ be the focus of our lives each and every day and put our hope and trust in him. 